That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, November 19th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, a major strategy pivot for Google Pay might be a big deal, but a minor shift in YouTube monetization is the same old, same old. Apple pays to settle an investigation into iPhone throttling. A firm files for its IPO. Apple Silicon continues to absolutely wow people. And by the way, the iPhone 12 Pro Max camera is wowing professional photographers. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Google has unveiled a major redesign for Google Pay for iOS and Android, part of which is a new series of partnerships with about 11 banks to launch a mobile-first bank accounts service called Plex beginning next year in 2021. I did not know this, but Google Pay does have about 150 million users in 30 countries in its five years of existence thus far. So not earth-shattering, but not bad either. This shift in direction and design, though, signals a shift towards helping people manage their personal finances, which I think could end up being a huge differentiator for Google Pay. Forget just about paying. What if Google Pay was more like your personal banker? Google wants to be its own challenger bank, I guess. Frankly, the more details I read about this, the more I think this could be a really big deal, quoting TechCrunch. Called Plex, these mobile-first bank accounts will have no monthly fees, overdraft charges, or minimum balances. The banks will own the accounts, but the Google Pay app will be the main conduit for managing them. The launch partners for this are Citi and Stanford Federal Credit Union. Quote, what we're doing in this new Google Pay app, think of it as combining three things into one, Google Director of Product Management Josh Woodward said as he walked me through a demo of the new app. The three things are three tabs in the app. One is the ability to pay friends and businesses really fast. The second is to explore offers and rewards so you can save money at shops. And the third is getting insights about your spending so you can stay on top of your money, end quote. Paying friends and businesses was obviously always at the core of Google Pay, but the emphasis here has shifted a bit. Quote, you'll notice that everything in the product is built around your relationships. Caesar Sengupta, Google's lead for payments and next billion users, told me, it's not about long lists of transactions or weird numbers. All your engagements pivot around people, groups, and businesses, end quote. It's maybe no surprise, then, that the feature that's now front and center in the app is peer-to-peer payments. You can also still pay and request money through the app as usual. But as part of this overhaul, Google is now making it easier to split restaurant bills with friends, for example, or rent and utilities with your roommates and to see who already paid and who is still delinquent. Woodward tells me that Google built this feature after its user research showed that splitting bills remains a major pain point for its users. In this same view, you can also find a list of companies you have recently transacted with, either by using the Google Pay tap and pay feature, or because you've linked your credit card or bank account with the service. From there, you can see all your recent transactions with those companies. Maybe the most important new feature Google is enabling with this update is indeed the ability to connect your bank accounts and credit cards to Google Pay so that it can pull in information about your spending. 
It's basically Mint Lite inside the Google Pay app. This is what enables the company to offer a lot of other new features in the app. Google says it is working with, quote, a few different aggregators to enable this feature, though it didn't go into details about who its partners are. It's worth stressing that this, like all the new features here, is off by default and opt-in, end quote. So think of this as Mint, not Mint Mobile, but Mint.com, the pioneer of financial data aggregation, the first to do things like Plaid famously does. Basically, all of your financial details in one place organize in a way you can understand it. The details of this seem really compelling and always have done when people offer products like this. Add on top of that, Google Search and AI now built into everything to help you find transactions. So like on a Monday morning, you could swipe around to find out how much you spent over the weekend using those Google Smarts in a smart way. Even the ability to be notified of virtual coupons so you can clip them. Of course, this means sharing basically all of your financial data with Google, who swears, absolutely swears, they will never sell your info to third parties or even share it with the rest of Google for Google's ad targeting purposes, which, right. Because as excited as I am about the potential of this, remember, Google's going to be Google. And Google's problem is, as we've said many times before, they still have only that one cash cow, advertising. And since they've not successfully ginned up another one, since they don't yet have their AWS, if you will, they're still forced to always try to squeeze more blood from that one stone. Don't Be Evil died at Google a long time ago in the face of having to show quarterly earnings growth on the regs. Thus, ads slowly took over all of organic search. Thus, everything that happens in the Google ecosystem is, in the end, about, yeah, shading the edges and blurring the lines so that eventually they can serve the ad ma and keep ad revenue from plateauing for just one more quarter if they can manage it. Forces like that force Google to do stuff like this. There once was a time when basically anyone could create a YouTube channel and make money off of Google throwing ads on top of those videos. But the advertisers, which of course are Google's real customers, complained that that meant that their ads were showing up on a lot of garbage content. So a while ago, Google changed the rules. You can't monetize your YouTube channel until you have a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours of watched videos on your channel within a one-year period. YouTube creators complained at the time, but you know, something, something, don't put all your eggs in one basket, it's your fault if you build your livelihood on someone else's platform, the rules of which are out of your control, etc. But remember, Google needs to make those quarterly ad revenue numbers continue to go in one direction only. So by demonetizing small channels until they prove themselves, Google was actually leaving a lot of money on the table. Money that they don't want to leave on the table. So YouTube announced yesterday that channels of all sizes, even if they've not hit that magic subscriber or watch hours number, will start to see ads on their videos once again. So does that mean Google reversed themselves on the policy that so angered so many of their YouTube creators? Not exactly, because it turns out if you're not big enough yet to be a part of that YouTube partner program, the ads will still show up on your videos without you being able to do anything to prevent it, and you won't make any money from it because Google is going to keep all the ad money. 
Only YouTube partners get a slice of the ads. In other words, Google is monetizing all those videos that it demonetized, and it's keeping all of the money for itself. Quoting Julia Alexander in The Verge, Advertising is big business for YouTube and its parent company Google, with the video site generating $5 billion in the last quarter alone. Advertising is also a big deal for creators who may rely on the site's payouts to support themselves. Now, YouTube will be able to run more ads on its platform and won't have to pay a number of creators in the process. The company confirmed to The Verge that the ads will still not run on videos from non-partnered creators that center on sensitive topics. These include politics, religion, alcohol, and gambling. The news did not go over well with members of the YouTube community. The creator community's relationship with YouTube over advertising revenue has been fraught for years. In late 2016 and early 2017, YouTube creators who were in the partner program were hit by a sudden drop in advertising revenue as the platform struggled to contain disturbing children's videos and other harmful content. Then in 2018, the Logan Paul incident led to changes to the partner program and more difficulty for creators to start earning revenue. YouTube didn't say how many creators will see ads run on their videos without paying out to them, but the company confirmed channels of all sizes may see ads appear. The company will monitor the impact on creators, end quote. Point I am making is this. Sure, go ahead and sign up for that Google personal banking feature. I mean, it sounds great even to me. Although, you'll have to share all of your financial details with Google, literally every dime you spend with every merchant in the world. Sure, Google promises never to use that data, consumer spending data that is literally the holy grail of what an advertiser might want in order to target ads to you, but Google promises never to do that. Promises. Even though their whole MO for 20 years has been slowly crossing every line in terms of feeding their advertising beast. We've said before, no one ever went broke betting on Google being inconsistent about what they will or won't do, especially when it comes to juicing their advertising numbers. Just ask YouTube creators. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mac Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their air-knit underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak Polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. 
More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1,000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at 1Password.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to 1Password.com slash ride. The cavalcade continues. A firm has filed its draft S1 for its upcoming IPO. A firm is that payment service that you might have seen popping up on websites that lets you pay for larger purchases over months instead of all at once. How is a firm as a business? Well, for the fiscal year ending June 30th, 2020, a firm's revenue was up 93% year over year to $509.5 million, and its net losses fell just a bit to $112.6 million. So if the perfect time to go public is when your growth is accelerating or peaking right as your path to profitability is nigh, then hey, a firm is checking all the important boxes. But I did find this bit interesting, quoting Finledger.com. Notably, the S1 reveals that a significant portion of a firm's revenue comes from Peloton, which means that the company needs to be careful not to put all its eggs in one basket. Specifically, a firm states Peloton was its top merchant partner, making up about 28% of its total revenue for the fiscal year ended June 30th, 2020, and 30% of its total revenue for the three months ended September 30th, 2020. The loss of Peloton as a merchant partner or the loss of any other significant merchant relationships would materially and adversely affect our business, results of operations, financial condition, and future prospects, a firm wrote in its S1. Other significant merchant partners include Tonal, West Elm, and Expedia, end quote. Apple has agreed to pay $113 million to settle an investigation into iPhone throttling which was brought by 34 states and the District of Columbia, quoting the Washington Post. The company's much-maligned throttling efforts drew nationwide scorn when they came to light in 2017, stunning consumers who at the time saw it as an attempt to nudge them into buying newer, more expensive devices. States led by Arizona, Arkansas, and Indiana soon opened a probe into the matter, and on Wednesday they secured a financial penalty and legal commitment from Apple to be more transparent in the future. Quote, Big tech must stop manipulating consumers and tell them the whole truth about their practices and products, Arizona Attorney General Mark Brnovich said in a statement. I am committed to holding these Goliath technology companies to account if they conceal the truth from their users, end quote. Investigators from 34 states and the District of Columbia, including Democratic and Republican attorneys general, joined the settlement. Apple declined to comment for this story, and its agreement with the states does not require it to admit guilt. The company in 2018 tweaked its settings to make its battery management practices clearer to users, end quote. NVIDIA's GeForce Now cloud gaming service launched today on iOS as a web app, thereby bypassing Apple's App Store and allowing iOS users to play Fortnite 
once again, quoting The Verge. So any mobile Fortnite players who have been unable to access the game can simply claim the game on Epic's PC storefront and sign in with their account, and any players who already play Fortnite across mobile console and PC have likely already linked their account and should have no trouble booting up the game within GeForce Now, end quote. Remember, this all stemmed from Apple saying, you can't do cloud gaming on iOS without paying us our 30% VIG, but you're free to do it outside of our native app, i.e. do it in a web browser. So now, NVIDIA and soon Microsoft, which has promised an iOS version of xCloud sometime next year, are taking Apple up on that. I said that gaming would be the thing that would crack the App Store open, and we saw just yesterday it's cracked. A bit. Now, is gaming the thing that could break the App Store entirely? Listen, today is just going to be an Apple-heavy news day, not because I'm some incorrigible Apple fanboy, but just because that's how the headlines crumbled today. And mainly it's because of this dynamic. The interest and excitement that people are having about Apple Silicon keeps coming out seemingly hourly, and that's worth noting. Pixelmator, for example, has released Pixelmator Pro 2.0, which might not be enough for me to talk about as a story normally. Although, I don't know, actually, that's a great app. But the interesting news is that Pixelmator Pro 2.0 will run natively on Macs with the new M1 chip. And because of that, Pixelmator says features like machine learning super resolution will be up to 15 times faster on these new Macs, quoting The Verge. The big news is that Pixelmator Pro 2.0 will run natively on Macs with Apple's new M1 chip. Currently, versions of apps that were developed for Intel systems can only run on the new Macs through an emulation layer called Rosetta 2. Other third-party developers, such as Adobe, don't plan to release the final ARM-native versions of their software until later this year, so photo editors may be relieved to see Pixelmator Pro support so soon after the M1's launch. You'll still be able to run Pixelmator Pro 2.0 on Intel-based Macs as well. Pixelmator Pro 2.0 also includes new machine learning features that take advantage of the M1 one's 16-core neural engine. The company says that functions like ML Super Resolution, which enlarges low-resolution photos while preserving details and textures, will be up to 15 times faster on the new Macs, end quote. And how about this? Apple has apparently debuted a forked version of TensorFlow that is optimized for macOS, and if you run it on the new 13-inch MacBook Pro with the M1 chip, say, it will train up to seven times faster than the 2020 MacBook Pro 13-inch with Intel chips inside. Quoting VentureBeat, According to Apple, the new macOS fork of TensorFlow 2.4 starts by analyzing higher-level optimizations such as fusing layers of the neural network, selecting the appropriate device type, and compiling and executing the graph as primitives that are accelerated by the CPU and metal performance shaders on the GPU. TensorFlow users can get up to seven times faster training on the 13-inch MacBook Pro with M1, Apple claims. Apple's internal benchmarks show that popular models like MobileNet V3 train in as little as one second on a 13-inch MacBook Pro with M1 and the new TensorFlow release, compared with over two seconds on the Intel-powered 13-inch MacBook Pro running an older TensorFlow package. Moreover, the company claims that training a style transfer algorithm on an Intel-powered 2019 Mac Pro with the TensorFlow optimizations can be done in around two seconds versus six seconds on unoptimized TensorFlow releases." quote. 
But also remember how if you wanted the best camera on an iPhone possible, you had to plump for the big guy, the iPhone 12 Pro Max. So I hadn't seen if anyone had actually gone and looked at if it was worth paying up for that bigger camera. Well, I saw this blog post from the folks at Halide, which I figure they know from photography, and their conclusion was, the Pro Max's camera achieves images of quality they claim they've never seen before, quoting their conclusion. As developers of a camera app, the results are mind-blowing. It achieves images previously only seen in dedicated cameras with sensors four times its size. It allows photographers to get steady and well-exposed shots in conditions that weren't imaginable a year ago. It captures low-light shots beyond anything we've seen on an iPhone, by a lot. If you are an advanced user, the type that uses more than just the stock apps, this phone offers a lot. Compare it to when Apple releases a new chip. They're already ahead of the curve, and then they release an even newer chip that blows the old one away. Some will ask, what can this even be used for? Before you know it, you have console-quality graphics and amazing AR experiences. We'd compare this camera to a next-generation chip. In daily use, an average person won't notice the signal-to-noise ratio or longer lens or superb stabilization and sensitivity. But as developers like us build apps for it, and this camera system works its way into future iPhones over the next few years, we can expect even the traditional camera market to be forced to step up. The iPhone 12 Pro Max is a pro photographer's iPhone, and we couldn't be more excited to start building for it, end quote. And finally, if you, like me, have been thrilled by the ability to put shortcuts on the home screen of your iPhone at long last, you've likely bemoaned the fact that it's still been sort of a kludge when you tapped a shortcut to, say, immediately route a course to a favorite location in Apple Maps, it won't actually open in the Apple Maps app directly. It has to go through the Shortcuts app first, then to that opened app that you were shortcutting to. Well, no more, quoting TechCrunch. In iOS 14.3 Beta 2, the Shortcuts app will now no longer open when you tap on an app shortcut on your iPhone's home screen. That means users who have created custom icons for their favorite apps as part of their iOS 14 home screen makeover will no longer be annoyed with this intermediate step where the Shortcuts app opens before the actual app does. This change was first spotted by Mac Stories founder Federico Vitici, end quote. I swear I don't like to do a day when I basically only talk about two companies. Today it was Google and Apple, with a brief mention of a firm, I guess. But again, I can only deal you the hand that I myself have been dealt. And I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't highlight how excited people have been getting over all of this Apple Silicon stuff. Anyway, we recorded such an amazing bonus episode with Chris Messina last night. Thank you to those listeners who tuned in and contributed questions. I cannot wait for you all to hear this and give me some feedback on this one over the weekend. We'll go up on Saturday, of course. Talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.